All right, so did you ever have your, your iPhone? How many have an iPhone? Or how, how many ever have a, had a software update? Yeah, okay. So I got one on my phone right now. It's like 16.5.7. <laughs> Ready to update tonight. Well, today's message is actually part 2.1. So last, uh, two weeks ago, I preached a message called From Glory to Glory Part 2, and I just felt like there's some more things that God wanted to speak through that message. So this is from glory to glory, part 2.1. So we'll eventually get to part three, but this is, uh, uh, I guess, part B of, of part two. And as uh, if you've been here the last couple of weeks when I've, I've preached on this, we, we've been starting from, oh, it even says 2.1. You fixed that for me. Somebody did. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three is really where our launching pad is and was. And at the end of chapter 3, it talks about that there's a veil on people's hearts, but when one turns to the, the Lord, the veil is lifted. And then it goes on in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the, what image? Oh, it's not up there. Okay. Are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so as I was reading that again this morning, the one thing that really just, I felt like the Holy Spirit highlighted was same image. Everybody say same image. It says that we are transformed or being transformed into the same image. So how many, if you look at your neighbor, how many of them look like Christ Jesus right now? Oh, yeah, if you can see inside, you do. So if you've been listening to anything that we've been teaching here, then on the inside you look like Jesus 100%. You're already perfect and you're already righteous. But our, our, the rest of us, our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions are still going through this process of transformation. So if you don't like, quite look exactly like Jesus yet in everything you do, you've got a little room to grow. So is anybody here that doesn't have room to grow? I was going to go ahead and say you could leave if you want, but, but if you got room to grow, you're going to stay because God's intention for you is to transform you into the same image. He wants you to be the same image as Jesus so that we think like Jesus. We, we feel in, in our emotions and in, in the way we act and in, in what we do is just like Jesus. I love what Seth said last week. He said, uh, we're going to learn how to ask better questions. Uh, it, it came from a time that we were in uh, Nicaragua, and, and he didn't really ask the right question. He asked a question. I said, you've got to ask better questions. And uh, he had asked our guide, well, well how, many, how, how, many, how long till such and such? And we were told 15 minutes. And about an hour and 15 minutes later, I said, uh, Seth, we're in Central America. You have to ask better questions. So better questions are exactly how many kilometers are we going, exactly how many people and stops are we going to make. And so as you ask better questions, you can, you can get a better answer. And so today we're going to look eventually at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, that asks really uh, a really good, better question. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. That question is in the middle of three verses. It's really a long 
question with lots of uh, prepositional phrases, but, but the, the, the crux of that question is just that. How should we escape if we neglect the greatest salvation? So this word transformed, it's, it's the same word. It comes from two words, metamorphe, and meta meaning change, morphe means form. It means to change form or what we would call transform. The exact same verse or word that's used when Jesus was on the, the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so, if you were here two weeks ago, I got to build a little bit backwards so we can go forwards. So I want to bring everybody up to speed. Who was here two weeks ago? Let me ask you that real quick. All right, almost everybody, not quite. How many remember what I preached on two weeks ago? Okay, not very many people. That's typical, because a lot of times I don't remember what I preached on two weeks ago. So well, a little refresher is good. So on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that Jesus took with him on a high mountain. He took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, he was transfigured. And it says that his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as, as light. And it says that he was transfigured in front of them or, or right in front of them. And the word transfigured, when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, is the exact same word as being transformed. We see in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So we talked a little bit about that last week. And that, in that setting, here's Peter and James and John. They're on the mountain. Jesus uh, is there. He's revealing his glory. He reveals what's been hidden inside of him all this time. And it says that Moses and Elijah appeared unto them and spoke with Jesus about all the things that he would accomplish in Jerusalem. So that he was going to go, he was going to die, he was going to resurrect. And as they're talking to, them, to Jesus, Peter butts in with this wonderful idea. That's great. So, I didn't even get to the mic drop part yet. So Peter says this, he says, Hey, I've got this brilliant idea, Jesus, let's do this. Let's make three tabernacles. One tabernacle for Moses, one tabernacle for Elijah, and one tabernacle for you. Now, don't think of like a, like a church tabernacle. Think of like a booth, like, not, a bo- like a, not like a voting booth, but like a, a shelter that the Israelites would sleep in during the, the Feast of Tabernacles. So, so let's make a, a shelter, three shelters, one for Moses, one Elijah, one, one for Jesus. And it says, as he was speaking, God the Father butts in and he says, Peter... That is a stupid idea. He didn't really say that. He actually said something different. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. So what Peter's trying to do, as we talked about last week or two weeks ago, is that Moses represents the law, or Moses was the law giver. Elijah, who represents the prophets, was what we would call the law enforcer, right? Moses gave the law, the prophets enforced the law, and Jesus comes along, and Jesus is not the lawgiver, Jesus is not the law enforcer, Jesus is the law fulfiller. Matthew 5.17 says, don't think that I came to destroy the law and prophets, no, I came to fulfill them. And because you can't keep them, he had to keep them for us. Oh, clean as a whistle. I'm sorry. I, I, I had a little squirrel moment there. Went back to my childhood watching TV with the little dial. We had 13 channels, you know, and every so often it would come that little clean. Was that clean as a whistle, Irish Spring? Irish Spring, clean as wishes. 
Old Spice. Yeah, Old Spice. All right. All right, Old Spice, New Spice. Okay, where are we going? Spice Girls. I don't know where I'm going. Jeez. So, so Peter says, let's make, uh, let's make a booth or a tabernacle to each one. Let's make the law equivalent to the prophets, equivalent to Jesus who brings grace and truth. And God the Father says, that's absolutely a stupid idea. Jesus is on a completely different platform. Jesus is not equal to the law. He's not equal to the prophets. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And he's saying this. He says, I don't want you to listen to the message of the law anymore. I don't want you to listen to the message of the prophets anymore. I want you to listen to the message that Jesus brought and is bringing. And what happens a lot of times is when we preach a message, and a lot of churches do this, we go back and preach a message from the law or from the prophets. And it's fine to preach from the Old Testament. Don't confuse that with the Old Testament because everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. So when you look at the Old Testament through the eyes of the New Covenant lens, you can see Jesus in there. And you have, you have to see that through, through the new, new Covenant lens. But he says, I want you to hear Jesus and I want you to hear Jesus only. In Luke chapter 16, verse 16, it says this. It says, the law and the prophets were until John. Speaking of John the Baptist, the law and the prophets were until John. But since that time, everybody say since that time. The kingdom has been preached and everyone is doing what? Pressing into it. That actually means to, to force your way in. To, to push your way in. It said the law and the prophets, what we just saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, the law and the prophets were until John. So at John the Baptist, the message changed. He said they were until John. But since that time, the message of the kingdom has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. If we don't have a message that is attractive to sinners, then I would almost venture to say we're preaching the wrong message. Because what the Bible says, it says that the message that was preached since John the Baptist, a different message, the message of the kingdom, not a message that the law brought, which was condemnation, not a message that the prophets brought, which was judgment, but a message that Jesus brought, which was grace and truth, he said that message that has been preached since John the Baptist, everyone is pressing to get into it. Luke 15 says this. Luke 15 is the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. But at the beginning of Luke, verses uh, 1 and 2, it says this. Look at this. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners did what? Drew near to him to do what? Hear him. All the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus to hear Jesus. All the Pharisees and scribes, wah, wah, wah. All the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them.
If we preach a message that doesn't attract sinners, we're preaching the wrong message. See, the message that Jesus preached attracted sinners and repelled religious people. The message most churches preach attract religious people and repel sinners. The only message you're going to hear in this church is one that invites sinners to meet the one that they need to meet. See, exactly, a couple things I see here, it says, they were drawn to Jesus to do what? Hear him. There's a connection between being present with the Lord and hearing what he has to say. See, a lot of times we want to hear from Jesus, but we want to do it from a distance. And it says that the sinners were drawn to him to hear him. And so that I can't hear Jesus from a distance, I need to be in his presence. It says the scribes and Pharisees complained. Obviously, when you're moving your chops, you can't hear with your ears. And sometimes you just got to shut your mouth and listen. Sometimes you got to draw near to hear what Jesus has to say to you. So we kind of ended up on this, this verse last week. It said that that God, when he sent his son Jesus, not only preached a different message, but he picked up a different microphone. See, there was a time before Jesus, it says that in various times and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the what? Prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, there was a time before Jesus that God is using, and I was told not to drop the microphone again because I must have broke it. But I'm going to do it anyway. No, I'm not. If it's broke, what's it matter, right? So before Jesus, God is preaching from a microphone called the Law and Prophets. It says, but in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. So that God got rid of that microphone, and He picked up a new microphone, and He's preaching a new message, the message of the kingdom, a message of grace and truth, and He's doing it through a new mouthpiece, Jesus Christ. It says he's spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Let's go to the next slide. Upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. If you remember last, two weeks ago, I said that a lot of times people define last days, they say, oh, we're living in the last days. 
Right? We are. But the reason they say we're living in the last days is because sin is on the uprise. That's not what God said. God said that we're living in the last days because he switched microphones. That the last days started the day he picked up the microphone of grace and started preaching a message through his son Jesus. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, who is heir of all the the worlds, through whom he created everything, who is the express image of his person, who is the brightness or the outshining of his glory, who himself purged all of our sins by himself. And when he was done, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And it says, by inheritance, he has obtained a better name than the angels. That's the one that's speaking today. Now, I would rather listen to a message by that person than this one over here that A, the law points out your sin, the prophets B, point out the penalty for sin, or Jesus that said, I took all the law, took the prophets, fulfilled it, I took your punishment, here you can receive what I have by faith and grace. That's a better message. And this is kind of where we ended up last week, preaching a pastime's message in this last day's season will bring condemnation, not transformation. Here's what happens a lot of times. I was talking to a few people recently about this. You're like, well, is it conviction or is it condemnation? Condemnation pushes down and away. Conviction picks up and pulls in. And we need the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't need the condemning work of the enemy. And see, the message we preach, when a lot of times we think we're preaching a message, we're actually preaching a message of condemnation that is repelling the very people that need to be drawn in. And the message that Jesus preached will do this. It will attract sinners. It will draw them in so they can hear what he has to say. And that's the exact message we need to be preaching today. So that was kind of was from two weeks ago. I just wanted to kind of catch you up to that. That was just a real quick summary. All right. So here's the text for today. I felt like this is where we needed to go today, and I will be quick, and then we're going to pray, and uh, God's going to uh, change you and change your mind and change a whole lot of stuff about you. Therefore, so at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, therefore. We didn't read all of chapter 1, but the rest of chapter 1, the, the writer tells us why Jesus is better than angels. Right? So he ends it, he says, he's by inheritance obtained a, more, uh, a better name than the angels. And then he goes on and tells us all the reasons that Jesus is better than the angels. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, therefore, because of everything I just told you, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we do what? Drift away. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed. More earnest heed, it means this. More earnest means actually super abundantly. It means to a greater degree. It actually means more frequently. So so more abundantly, more frequently, We need to give heed. And most of the time we think about giving heed to something, it means to to pay attention to it, to really focus on it. This word, actually, I really like because 
The word in the Greek means to draw near. It actually means to draw in, and it was used in classic Greek to describe a ship that was being brought to shore. And it says, we must give more earnest heed to draw near, to be brought to shore, lest of the things we have what? Heard. We must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Well, what did we just hear? We heard a new message. We heard a message that is now preached by Jesus. Not preached by the prophets, not preached by the, by, by the law, but we have a message preached by Jesus. And, and the writer says we need to give more earnest attention, more frequent attention to the thing that we heard, lest we drift from, actually it means from it. So what can happen? If I don't pay attention to the message, what happens? I start drifting from the message. And when I drift from the message of grace, where do I drift to? I drift to the wrong message. It says, therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Go back. Lest we drift away. Drifting's pretty imperceptible, isn't it? Drifting is something that just kind of unconsciously happens. A lot of times it's just very subtle, very casual, imperceptible. When I was 12 years old, we used to go to Ocean City every year as a kid. I loved it. A lot of good memories there. But I remember the first year when I was 12, my parents bought me this raft. You know, and, and, and you know, the kind you got to, you know, you blow it up. And I went out and floated on the water. I was just going to go float, you know, float on the waves. And, and I don't remember, just say we were on, I don't know, 100th Street. I don't, I don't even know. And, and my dad says, do not leave this space right in front of the hotel. Okay. So I go out, and guess what? Next thing you know, I'm down on 30th Street now. <laughs> I didn't go that far. But imperceptibly, I just drifted. See, when I think about this message, it says that to, to give more earnest heed is to actually bring a ship to shore. See, I think what happens a lot of times, we have our anchor in Jesus, but we let out a whole bunch of rope. See, I think the longer the rope, the farther the drift. And a lot of you have your anchor hooked in Jesus, but you've allowed your life to drift pretty far from shore. He says you need to pay more earnest attention to the things you've heard lest you drift. You actually need to draw that ship to shore. You need to get back on a firm foundation. You're like, oh, you know, my life's so good, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And imperceptibly, you're drifting at sea because you've quit listening to the right message. See, the message of Jesus, the message of grace, the message of the cross will keep you grounded. See, everybody wants to listen to different things. I think people are more interested in being well-rounded than well-grounded. Well, I need to listen to this and listen to that. You need, one, you need to listen to one message. 
You need to listen to the message of Jesus. So you need to pay more earnest attention to it. More frequently and more abundantly. Lest we drift. Verse 2 says this. Well, next slide says what? Solution to not drifting is paying more frequent and abundant attention to what was already spoken of by the Son. Okay, verse 2. So here's where it gets sticky. I love sticky. I live in sticky scripture. I like it. It says, if the word spoken through angels, so first of all, what's that? He just established that Jesus is better than angels. The word spoken through angels was the law. So you can look in Deuteronomy, you can look in Psalms, you can look in uh, Corinthians and also Hebrews. It says, Paul says this in Galatians 3.19, it says that the, the law was appointed by angels through a mediator. So actually when God gave, the, and you can see this in about three or four different scriptures in, in, in the Bible, when God gave the law, he gave it through the angels who gave it to Moses, and Moses was the mediator or the go-between from that point. He says, if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast. If that thing, if the law was certain, if the law was secure, if the law was, was sure, like if that, if, if the inferior covenant was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. He says, if the law was steadfast and every disobedience and, and, and transgression received a just reward. So here's the thing. Under the law, you got a just reward. You know, if you did bad, guess what you got? You got bad. If you did good, you got good. It said that every, it says, and every disobedience. So there was, there was good parts of the law. If you did right, you got blessed. But it was based on whose performance? Yours. And he says, so under the law, and if that thing was true, and if the Old Testament said this, it says, if you do this, you'll be blessed, it happened. If you do this and you'll be cursed, it happened. It says, if that happened, and if that inferior covenant was so steadfast, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We're going to come back to that, because that's really what I want to close with. I want to read the next couple verses first which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now he's going to describe the salvation. Which at first began to be spoken by whom? The Lord. Oh, because it was a new message. Jesus at first began to preach about salvation. He was the first one that actually was the fulfillment of all the things the Old Testament pointed to. It said, which at first was, was spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed to us by those who what? I just got to wonder. Now, obviously, the apostles heard him, but could it possibly be some of the tax collectors and sinners that drew near to him to hear him that also confirmed the word that they heard him? Yeah, it could be. It said it was first spoken to us by the Lord and then was confirmed to us by those who heard him and God also bearing witness. This is a great word. This word bearing witness just doesn't mean that God testified. It means joint testimony. It means that God testified along with the other people who were testifying. So that somebody heard Jesus preach a message. Somebody took that message and made it understandable and steadfast and sure to somebody else. And then God came along 
and co-signed the message with his joint testimony. What was his joint testimony? It says he confirmed it with signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Have you ever met somebody that says the sign gifts have passed away? Okay, maybe that's you. I want to tell you what, they haven't. But I got to think this, if somebody thinks the sign gifts have passed away, it's probably because they're preaching a message that's passed away. See, God is confirming today with miracles, signs, wonders, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the message of Jesus. And I'm thankful to say this church sees all of the above. God is not confirming a person. God's confirming a message. And it's the message of his son. Even when Jesus sent out, after he ascended, he said, go preach the gospel to every creature. It said at the end of Mark 16, God uh, accompanied them or worked with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders. All right, here's the question. Seth said we've got to ask better questions, right? This is a good one. Oh, I forgot to do this. Before I ask the better question, so, so Seth didn't tell you last week, but I guess we had a funeral here last weekend, and I don't use a podium. And apparently I must have been like leaning on the podium to where people thought, for one, it was going to fall off the stage. But then two, I've been now called Tyrannosaurus Rex Arms. So if you wondered what Seth was talking about last week, that was it. I'm not a podium guy. But matter of fact, we've got to get rid of that thing. That's downright hideous. All right. So how should we escape? The word escape means this. Escape means to, to flee, to seek safety. How shall we flee to seek safety? A lot of times people will use this verse to talk about salvation eternally. That if we neglect salvation, uh, or how shall we escape the, the eternal damnation, if you will, if we neglect so great a salvation? While it is a true statement, if you reject Jesus, you will end up, if you die rejecting Jesus, you will end up paying a price for your own sins that you were never meant to pay in a place called hell. That's true. Although it's true, I don't believe that's what's being said here. This verse is not talking about rejecting Jesus. This church verse is talking about neglecting something. Right? There's a difference between reject and neglect. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect? What do, the, another time Paul used the word neglect, he said to Timothy, he says, do not neglect the gift that is in you that was put in you by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. So he's telling him, like, you cannot neglect something that you don't own or that you don't steward. Like, I can't neglect your house. Right? I can neglect my house. I can neglect my car. I can neglect my kids. I can neglect my wife. I can only neglect things I'm in relationship with that I possess or that I steward. I can't neglect something that doesn't belong to me. 
It's yours. He says, how shall we seek safety? How shall we flee to seek safety if we neglect so great a salvation? The word neglect means this. It means to give little attention or respect to, to disregard, to leave undone, unattended, especially through carelessness. Do you realize that you can neglect the salvation that you already have? Your salvation, see what happens, here, here's the question most people ask, what do I need to do to go to heaven? That's an inferior question. That's an inferior question because the new birth, which is part of salvation, is not all of salvation. Getting born again is a one-time event, but it's not the end-all, be-all to salvation. See, salvation is perfectly perfect and completely complete. It has, it's a whole big package of which the born-again experience is a part of it. But what happens a lot of times, people get born again and, and what, we, what we call saved, they got born again, and then they neglect everything else that Jesus has provided. See, what happens when the enemy comes along and starts to put doubt in your mind? How are you going to escape? What comes along when you get afflicted with a disease? How are you going to escape? What happens when people start to shame you, condemn you, and, and start to, to ridicule you? How are you going to escape if you neglect, actually carelessly consider so great a salvation that's already been provided for you? You can't. See, what happens is we have the answer in us, but we walk around thinking we have no answers. And we go looking somewhere else for the answer that we already have. So salvation is this. Salvation actually comes from the word Savior, which comes from the word saved. Soteria, salvation, soter, savior, sozo, to save, which is a verb. And what happens a lot of times is we think of salvation as just a one-time experience. The born-again experience, Jesus says you must be born again. You get a new nature. You're, you're, you're infused with, the, with his nature in you. He comes to live in you. That's a one-time experience. But salvation is ongoing. See, actually, you're not just saved. You're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Titus 3.5 said this is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his great mercy, he, past, present, or future tense. Past. I've been saved because I put my faith in what he did. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. It says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. How many know that we need some power of God in our life while we're being saved? Well, I got saved when I was seven years old. Yeah, well, so did I. But in the last 47 years, I needed some power of God in my life because I'm still being saved. And if I neglect so great a salvation, how am I going to escape the things that the enemy's throwing at me? I've been saved. I'm being saved. One day, I will be saved. When Jesus comes back, when the dead in Christ rise first, 
when I get a brand new body in the twinkling of an eye. Romans 5.9 says this. It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? Wrath. Here's the good news. We're not going through the judgment. We're not going through the great white throne judgment. It's for unbelievers. But if you don't believe, you will. But right now, if you've been justified now, you're saved from wrath later. You've been saved. You're being saved. And one day you'll be saved. If you have a hard time grasping that, think, think of like the, you remember the ark in the Old, Old Testament? Oh wait, there's two arks, right? Oh yeah, there was the ark of the covenant, and then there was what other? The, like the little ark and the big ark, right? The little ark, the ark of the covenant was where? In the Holy of Holies. The little ark represents Christ in me. The big ark, Noah's ark, represents me in Christ. When Noah and his family, all eight of them, got into the boat, when were they saved? They were saved when the door shut. Now they were drifting, but not the way we drift. When they were on the water, guess what they were doing? They were being saved. And when that boat stopped one day and God opened the door, guess what? They were saved. So if you have a hard time thinking about that spiritually, think about the ark. That's a good way to picture it. Says that we were saved, we're being saved, and one day we will be saved. Do we need the power of God in our lives? So right now, I know that I, I know that I know that I know that I was saved. But I know right now I need to be being saved. I still got issues in my life. I'm still dealing with stuff. I'm still trying to put off the old and put on the new. I'm still trying to grow from one level of glory to another. I'm still trying to be transformed even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm still being transformed into the same image as Jesus. I still need to be being saved. I still need the message of the cross. I still need the power of God at work in my life. When fear comes, I need to be being saved. When doubt comes, I need to be being saved. When sickness comes, I need to be being saved. When condemnation comes, I need to be being saved. When accusations come, I need to be being saved. When I fall back into my old lifestyle, I don't need to get born again again. I need to be being saved. 
I start living a way that doesn't represent Christ, I need to be being saved. And it says all of that is foolishness to the world. But to us, it's the power, the miracle-working power of God to transform your life happens when you allow him to be being Savior. I know I'm talking in weird English, but I don't have any other way to, to describe it. It's a continual process. You're saved in your spirit. Your spirit man is perfect. But the rest of you is still in process. And you need the work of the Holy Spirit in your life.